Praise God. Just uh, an amazing ministry, uh, Gideon International, getting Bibles uh, to people who need it, who are in uh, the, the worst of straits or people who are just in the normalness of life and need God's Word because that, that's everyone. Everyone needs God's Word and to, to hear of this great salvation. <clears throat> We're continuing today in our study of Genesis. Uh, we've been here for, for quite some time, and we're, we're in Genesis 8 today. We'll be going from 8-1 to about verse 20, I believe it is, 8-20. If you want to turn there. Um, before we even go to the verses, read the verses, I want to, to remind you where we're at. And I even want to ask you uh, for your own life uh, a, a couple questions. Do you, or have you ever felt vulnerable to what, what life might throw at you? Have you ever felt lost or forgotten in this world? Maybe like you're just drifting through life. Maybe life feels out of your control. Maybe you feel like uh, you're experiencing more than your fair share of hardships, right? This isn't fair. Why isn't this happening to them? It always happens to me. You know, why is that going on? And maybe because of all of that, you feel that everyone, including God, especially God, has abandoned you. Like you have been forgotten. Well, the fact is, everyone at some point, uh, even every believer, will go through these prolonged times of, of discouragement and difficulty. And, and as believers, these, these prolonged times of, of feeling abandoned, feeling forgotten, walking uh, through this, this shadow through this valley, these are the times that we are often very prone to give up on our faith. Right? Is there even a God? If, if all this is going on, if I, if I don't feel God, I don't see Him, is there even a God? If there is a God, does He care for me? Or has He forgotten me? And when we, when we get to that place where we begin to lose our faith, this, this difficulty and this discouragement turns into despair and depression. We've lost hope when we've lost this faith. And that's exactly uh, the, the kind of situation uh, we see with Noah's life here in, in uh, chapter 8, verse 1. Uh, what's been going on before we even read that, what's been going on here is... Uh, you know, the world became more and more corrupt. God created it good. Man sins against him, but it becomes more and more corrupt. God decides, I'm going to judge this world. I'm going to pour out my wrath on this world. He's going to flood it. But in faithfulness to his promise to one day bring a savior, uh, he, he says, I'm going to save Noah. He, he grants Noah favor favor, and has him uh, build an ark for himself, for his family, and representatives of all the animals. So Noah does it. He obeys, and, and many years later, God says, okay, get in the ark. It's time, and Noah gets in the ark. These are things we saw uh, the last couple weeks. Then the flood came. The flood comes. I just want you to feel uh, emotional tension here with, with Noah. He's been doing all these things. The flood comes. Chapter 7 says that the earth gushed out water. That means that like the plague 
were breaking apart and water is gushing out of the earth. And it says that, that the skies are pouring down this torrential rain for 40 days and 40 nights. And, and as this is happening, the ark is lifted high above the ground. And there's most likely, I'm, it doesn't say this in the Bible, but I imagine people are banging on the walls of the ark as this, this flood rises up and as these waters pour down. Then after a while, the banging goes away, right? The ark is lifted high above the earth. And just, just picture this. The entire earth, there, there's no land. There's nothing but water and this little ark. Relatively big as far as uh, boats go, but <laughs> relatively small as far as the earth goes. And so listen to this scene. We're going to back up, rewind a little bit. 722 through 24. Everything on the dry land in whose nostrils was the breath of life died. He, that is God, blotted out every living thing that was on the face of the ground, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens. They were blotted out from the earth. Here we go. Only Noah was left and those who were with him in the ark. And the waters prevailed on the earth 150 days. So chapter 7 is sort of giving us a, a picture here of, of th this crazy flood has happened. Everyone dies, and then you have little old Noah with his family and these animals, and they have been on this water in this ark uh, with, with the flood for 150 days. That is five months at this point. This isn't the end of the flood, by the way. This is just at this point in the flood narrative. It has been five months. Again, you just think of how, how crazy this whole scene would be. God, God says, everyone's going to die. This flood's going to come, but you get in the ark, and it happens. So you know that outside these dark walls around you in this ark, everyone's dead out there. I don't even know what's going on. I can feel that we're floating, but I don't know what's going on. Nothing but endless sea around them. And there had to be some point when, when Noah... When, when days become weeks and weeks become months and more and more months and nothing happens, just floating, where he's got to start to wonder, now what? Uh, has God hung me out to dry out here? I guess dry may not be the right word with this flood, but anyway, has God left me to a horrible fate I don't know what's going to happen. I really thought, that, you know, the flood would come up and then we'd park back down and everything would be good to go. But here I am, 150 days later, and nothing has changed. What, what's going to happen? You know, we, we didn't store up food for years and years in here. What, what if our food runs out? What, what if one of us uh, gets sick here on the ark and we have, we have no way to treat them? What if this ark is, is capsized in, in one of the storms? He, he might have had all these what-ifs going on as the days turned into weeks and then to months. And I'm sure Noah was praying. He, he was a godly man, we understand. I'm sure he was praying, Hello, God, <laughs> where are you? Nothing. Silence. Nothing but the sound of animals in his family. 
And I even imagine uh, Noah's family uh, maybe saying, you know, uh, Noah, you told us to get in here, and uh, so, so when are we getting out? You know, the, the, this would be the ultimate, are we there yet? Um, when, when are we getting out? And I just imagine Noah, the, the, the leader of his family, who has led them into this ark, saying, guys, I, I don't know. I'm sorry, I, I don't know. I don't know when we're getting out of here. I, I'm tired of being in here too. I get it. These, again, are the times when we're, when we're just drifting we don't know when we're going. The, the ark didn't have a rudder, right? There, there's no plans for that. They, don't, they can't even steer this thing. And we're just drifting through life. Feels like we're out of control. We're waiting. We're wondering. But this fear creeps in. And before you know it, we start to complain about it. Before you know it, we're cursing God. Probably in our hearts, probably not out loud. You know, we're cursing God for this situation that we're in. We've lost faith. We've lost hope. So the question is, what do we do in these moments? What do we need to remember? You may be in one of these moments right now. I don't know. If not, you will be. But what do we need to know? What do we need to remember when we feel like God has forgotten us? When life feels out of control? I'm going to read for you. Genesis chapter 8, verses 1 through 20. If you want to follow along in your Bibles, you're welcome to do that. We'll see the the answer to that. What do we need to remember? All right. Chapter 8, verse 1. And we remember they've been out there on this desolate earth with only water. Chapter 8, verse 1. But God remembered Noah and all the beasts of the livestock that were with him in the ark. And God made a wind blow over the earth, and the waters subsided. The fountains of the deep and the windows of the heavens were closed. The rain from the heavens was restrained, and the waters receded from the earth continually. At the end of 150 days, the waters had abated, and in the seventh month, on the seventeenth day of the month, the ark came to rest on the mountains of Ararat. And the waters continued to abate until the tenth month, in the tenth month, on the first day of the month, the, top of the, mount, the tops of the mountains were seen. At the end of forty days, Noah opened the window of the ark that he had made and sent forth a raven. It went to and fro until the waters were dried up from the earth. Then he sent forth a dove from him to see if the waters had, had subsided from the face of the ground. But the dove found no place to set her foot, and she returned, she returned to him to the ark For the waters were still on the face of the whole earth. So he put out his hand and took her and brought her into the ark with him. He waited another seven days, and again he sent forth the dove out of the ark. And the dove came back to him in the evening, and behold, in her mouth was a freshly plucked olive leaf. So Noah knew that the waters had subsided from the earth. Then he waited another seven days and sent forth the dove, and she did not return to him any more. In the six hundredth and first year, in the first month, the first day of the month, the waters were dried from off the earth. And Noah removed the covering of the ark and looked, and behold, the face of the ground was dry. In the second month, on the twenty-seventh day of the month, the earth had dried out. Then God said to Noah, Go out from the ark, you and your, fam- you and your wife and your sons and your sons' wives with you. 
Bring out with you every living thing that is with you of all flesh, birds and animals and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, that they may swarm on the earth and be fruitful and multiply on the earth. So Noah went out and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him. Every beast, every creeping thing, and every bird, everything that moves on the earth went out by families from the ark. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. That's where we'll stop for today. That is God's word. What we're going to look at today is, is what will this help us to see for our lives when we are in those days of drifting, those days of difficulty and wandering. Let's pray and ask God to, to bless his word for us today. Father God, you know our hearts. You know exactly the situation we're in. Some of us, Lord, we, we don't believe that we can take any more of it. We don't believe we can take any more of the waiting, of the wandering, of the drifting. We, can, we don't feel like we can take any more bad news. God, would you arm us right now with the faith we need to trust in you, to trust in you in our trials and in our joys. God, would you arm us with the faith to bless you even in our trials, to actively seek to glorify your name because we trust you, because we know that you're good and that you're worthy of glory. God, would you help us today? Pray all this in your son's name. Amen. So again, the question is, what do we need to remember when we feel like God has forgotten us, God has abandoned us, when life feels out of control? What do we need to remember? This is uh, number one in your notes. I'm adding a couple words at the front of it, but we need to remember that God remembers his people. I thought about that later, that that might be more memorable. Remember that God remembers. Remember that God remembers. Remember that God remembers his people. Spe specifically in this context, we'll, we'll see that God remembers Noah. But I want to show you as we uh, continue through it that, that there are principles here that apply to all of us. If we are God's people, if we're found in Christ, then God remembers us as well. So we saw, again, from chapter 7, that, that from Noah's point of view, okay, this is, this is from the inside of the ark, from Noah's point of view, they have just been drifting, wandering aimlessly for 150 days, five months, not knowing what's going to happen, not knowing which swell is going to tip them over, not knowing any of these things. But here, we come to chapter 8, verse 1, and it actually zooms to God's point of view for a moment. Verse 8-1, but God remembered Noah. Those are beautiful words. But God remembered Noah and all the beasts and all the livestock that were with him in the ark, and God made a wind blow over the earth, and the waters subsided. God remembered Noah. That may sound odd to you, but we need to understand biblical language here. When it says that God remembered Noah— it does not mean that he forgot Noah. 
You might say, well, he, he must have forgot Noah. No, it doesn't say that he forgot Noah. It says that he remembered Noah, right? It actually says the opposite of him forgetting Noah. You know, we, we use this kind of language all the time. My, my, my wife might say, hey, uh, uh, did you bring your sunglasses? And I might say, yeah, I remembered them. I remembered them. I didn't forget, right? God remembered Noah. But it's actually more than just this uh, knowledge remembering when, when uh, this language is used of God. When, when this word remember is used by God towards one of his people, it means he not only is bringing them to mind, but he's bringing them to mind in order to act on their behalf. In order to act for them. God doesn't just remember us and sympathize for us, right? That might be nice, you know, on our birthday if someone remembers us, or if we're in the hospital, some of you guys know what I'm talking about. If people remember us and maybe text us or something, that's cool. But if they can't do anything to, like, help you, that, that's, that's not all that, that much. God, on the other hand, when he remembers, he does sympathize. He does have compassion, and he moves into action. Whether or not we see it, God moves into action. Again, this is from God's point of view. God remembered Noah. Let me just give you a couple other examples of what this word remembered uh, means. One of them is also from Genesis. We'll, we'll look at more of these later, but I just want to show you. Um, Jacob's wife, one of the uh, patriarchs, Jacob's wife, Rachel, you know, she'd been struggling for years to, to have a child for Jacob. That was, uh, in, in their culture, um, a mark of their identity, almost, that the children that they had. And so she's struggling with that, and she'd been praying to God. But Genesis 30, 22 says this, Then God remembered Rachel. So that's good. He remembered, right? And God listened to her and opened her womb. So, so God not only calls her to mind, but he's acting with this remembrance. He, he's working on her behalf. Exodus uh, chapter 2, verse 24 We've got uh, like 40 more chapters before we get to this setting. Um, but at the end of, of Genesis, uh, the, the patriarchs, they, they go and live in Egypt. Over time, they become slaves there in Egypt. And this is what it says in Exodus 2.24, after they'd become slaves and were mistreated. Uh, 2.24, And God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God remembered this covenant. I will give you this land. You'll have uh, this, this land of milk and honey. It doesn't talk about slavery. He has this covenant with them. And if you read the rest of Exodus, you see that, that God did not just call them to mind. He went into action. We're talking plagues, the Red Sea splitting, crushing an army. God remembered his people. This is an active Remembering. He addresses our needs. And that's exactly what we see happen here. God not only uh, remembers him, but it said there in the second half of verse 1, and God made a wind to blow over the earth. This, by the way, is the, the same word as in uh, Genesis chapter 1, that the, the Spirit uh, hovered over the face of the, the earth, the waters of, of the earth. Uh, we're seeing this, this creation happen again almost. Can't go too far down that, that trail, but... We see this, the wind is blowing over the earth, the water subsided, then two and three, verse two and three. The fountains of the deep and the windows of the heavens were closed. The rain from the heavens was restrained and the waters receded from the earth continually. At the end of 150 days, the waters had abated. And in the seventh month, on the 17th day of the month, the ark 
came to rest on the mountains of Ararat. God remembers Noah, and he is acting on that remembrance, on that care that he has for Noah. We see that, that again, the, uh, the wind is blowing, the fountains of the deep uh, have closed, this, this water that was coming out of springs of, of the earth are closed, the heavens were closed, the rain from the heavens was restrained, and the waters receded. This is actually uh, much crazier than what we see here. I, I should have written down the, the passage uh, I probably shouldn't go for it, but we, we talked about it last week. Here we go. Uh, yeah, here we go. Psalm 104, uh, verse 7 and 8. It's talking about the, uh, the flood waters. It says, At your rebuke they fled. At the sound of your thunder they took flight. So the waters are taking flight from God because he's remembered Noah. And then it says this, verse 8, The mountains rose, the valleys sank down to the place that you appointed for them. What that means is God is not only, uh, you know, uh, making a breeze blow over the face of the earth. He's actually changing the shape of the surface of the earth, making valleys down in the oceans so that more water can pour down in them, and mountains point, go up so that the water runs off of them. He, he is making dry land. Again, this points back to Genesis 1 again, that, that separates the waters from the dry land. That's exactly what he's doing right here. This is, this is God truly acting on Noah's behalf, on, on humanity's behalf, but here God remembered Noah. And so, again, from, from Noah's point of view, 150 days had gone by. If God was going to act, certainly he'd have acted on month three. If he didn't act on month three, certainly month four. My goodness, here we are, month five. I mean, the hope had to be at an all-time low at this point, five months in on this boat. But then we see from God's point of view on the 150th day, the waters had abated and the ark came to rest on the mountains of Ararat. I imagine five months of this same feeling of, of sort of floating. I mean, it was a big boat, so it wouldn't be like jostling around like a little canoe, but you know, you'd still know you're on water. Then all of a sudden they feel the, the, the ark kind of just stop. They feel it scrubbing something down below and it, and it stops on land. This would have been highly encouraging for a man who hadn't had any change for 150 days, or, you know, maybe less than that, because it would have taken a few days for the ark to, to rise up, but 140 days, whatever. Um, this would have been amazing. All of a sudden, he would say, maybe God hasn't forgotten us. Maybe God is working for us. That's what's going on. The ark comes to rest on the mountains of Ararat. And it goes on, verse 5, And the waters continued to abate until the tenth month. That's uh, about two and a half months after the ark uh, came to rest on the mountain. In the tenth month, on the first day of the month, the tops of the mountains were seen. That, that means that all of a sudden, you know, first they're, they're at the level that the bottom of the ark can rest on the top of the mountain there. But now, two and a half months later, they can see the tops of of the mountains. They're, they've become visible. And then verse 6, at the end of 40 days, or, or 40 days later, Noah opened the window of the ark that he had made and sent forth a raven. It went to and fro until the waters were dried up from the earth. Then he sent forth a dove from him to see if the waters had subsided from the face of the ground. 
I'm going to pause there for just a second. I read a lot of commentaries and things for this. It is amazing what some people see here in a story of a raven and a dove. Um, anyways, what I'm going to tell you about this is exactly what the Bible says, is that he sent them out to see if the waters were dried up, okay? It's, it's what it says there, uh, verse 8, Then he sent forth a dove from him to see if the waters had subsided from the face of the ground. I'm not going to find some super spiritual meaning here. Why? Because the Bible doesn't tell me some super spiritual meaning here. Some people would say um, that you have the raven as the worldly person and the dove is the godly person. What? I, I mean, these are, these are things, I'm not trying to knock people. I get it. And I like the analogy. I really do. I mean, kind of a pilgrim's progress thing, but it, it's not what's in the Bible. Um, I, I don't see Jesus as the one pulling the dove back in the ark. I, I just don't. I see Noah seeing if the waters have subsided. I'm just, that was just my disclaimer for why this isn't going to be action-packed about the dove and the raven. This is just what it tells me, and I'm not going to presume further than the Bible goes. I would encourage you to do the same. Again, analogies and, and things like that are cool, uh, but let's not put them in the Bible if, if it doesn't tell us them. All right, verse 9. But the dove found no place to set her foot, and she returned to him to the ark, for the waters were still on the face of the whole earth. So he put out his hand and took her and brought her into the ark with him. He waited another seven days, and after he sent forth the dove out of the ark, after he sent forth the dove out of the ark, and the dove came back to him in the evening, and behold, in her mouth was a freshly plucked olive leaf. So Noah knew that the waters had subsided from the earth. Now, this is important right there. It doesn't say that uh, the dove simply just brought a branch to him. Cool. There was a huge flood. There probably were branches floating. There were probably a lot of other things floating, by the way. Um, things that didn't make it through the flood, right? People, animals. Anyways, he didn't just bring a, a stick. He brought a freshly plucked olive leaf. Th th this means that this is new growth. It was a green leaf. It had been 150 days since the, the earth had been flooded. There wouldn't have been all these green leaves, but this is a freshly plucked one. What does that mean? Well, that means that the waters had gone down far enough, and there had even been enough time for the, this olive tree to be growing up and even sprout an olive leaf. From what I understand, the, the olive tree is, is one of the most uh, resilient of uh, trees out there, and so it makes sense even that it would be one of the first ones to be um, sprouting this leaf. So... Noah knew that the waters had subsided from the earth. Verse 12, Then he waited another seven days and sent forth the dove, and she did not return to him anymore. I always think that's funny, because it's like, uh, you know, if you, if you let it go and it returns, then you know that it was meant to be. That didn't work out too well for Noah. <laughs> it didn't come back here in verse uh, 12. He, he let it go, and it stayed gone. That's, that's cool. I don't know. That has nothing to do with the Bible. That's just uh, <laughs> what I thought of when I read that. Anyway, verse 13. In the 601st year, in the first month, the first day of the month, the waters were dried from off the earth. And Noah removed the covering of the ark and looked, and behold, the face of the ground was dry. That is almost a year, okay? This is, he's removing this covering. It's almost been a year that they have been in the ark. Because even before the flood, Noah and his family had been in there for seven days, uh, we saw in chapter 7. 
So they've been in there for a really long time. And then again, the flood comes, and then silence, all alone. But God was working behind it all. God remembered Noah, no matter how much he felt abandoned. And ultimately, God brought them to dry ground. Again, this this just wasn't easy sailing for Noah. This wasn't a, a party cruise that they took. I gotta be honest, I don't want to be on a cruise for a year, you know, uh, much less in, in, a, in a stinky ark uh, with a bunch of animals and uh, the, the, the family and in-laws, you know, it's just not my idea of fun. But his faith must have been pushed to the absolute limit here. Have you ever been there? His faith must have been pushed to the absolute limit. We're out here on this water. Five months go by before they finally rest on the mountain of Ararat, on, on the mountain range of Ararat there. God had remained faithful to Noah. God had remembered him. What I love here is, again, if, if it's a movie, you know, we're, we're seeing Noah in this, this struggle and not seeing anything go on, but here in 8.1, <clears throat> we see that God was working behind the scenes. In cha- the end of chapter 7, it's showing uh, Noah out there all alone, nothing happening, the water still had not abated. In chapter 8, we see that God was working behind the scenes the whole time. That, that God was closing up the heavens, closing up the deeps, causing the valleys to sink and the mountains to rise, as we saw in Psalms. God was working in the background. And I also love that all along the way, God has sort of given him these, these little bits of hope. At, a, at 150 days, they finally, you know, uh, rest on that, that mountain there in, in the range of Ararat. Then, then two and a half months later, God inspires them by, hey, there, here's some, some tips of the mountains. They're, they're, they're visible now. And then after sending out this, this dove and raven, finally a, a fresh leaf comes back, and finally the dove stays gone altogether. God, God was testing his faith, but he was not pushing it over the edge. At 150 days, I, I imagine God knew this is what he needs. 150 days, he, he hit land. Two and a half months later, the mountain's visible. Then the, the, the leaf and the dove doesn't return. God remembered Noah. He could trust, or yeah, he could trust God. You might say at this point, and this is sort of where we're going, that's great for Noah. You know, he, 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 it all worked out really well for him. You know, God spoke to him audibly and stuff as well. That hasn't happened for me uh, in this sort of like make an ark sort of way. God remembered him in his time of trouble, but how can I know in my deepest, in my darkest, in my longest uh, period of darkness, how can I know that God will remember me? How can I know that? Well, I believe we can know that in the same way that I believe Noah knew that God was going to remember him. Noah was a faithful man. I, I'm, I'm, saying, I'm not saying he lost his faith out there on the water. I'm saying it was stretched. But here are ways that we and, and Noah most likely would have been able to know that God remembered him. Here are two ways. I'm going to give them to you, okay? We remember the character of God, and we remember the promises of God. 
we can remember that God remembers us by remembering the character and the promises of God. And I would say, even at this point, we have a huge advantage over Noah, okay? The character of God. Noah knew about God creating the world. He knew about God's mercy on Adam and Eve. He knew about God's uh, provision of, of the child that he had promised uh, Eve, you know, and he, he knew about these things. He'd even seen the flood come that God had promised, so he knew God kept his promises. And in uh, 718, God said, uh, in, in 717, he says, everything that is on the earth shall die, but I will establish my covenant with you. You shall come into the ark, you, your sons, and your wife, and your sons' wives with you, and you will keep them alive, verse 19 says. God had promised Noah that he would keep him alive, that he would remember him in these ways. But we have a, a distinct advantage over him, by the way. I, I just feel like we do. We have seen so much more of the character of God. We're in uh, the eighth chapter of the Bible. I can't remember how many chapters there are in the Bible, but we have many, many more um, records of God's character. And not only that, we, we have many great promises from God, and they have all already been fulfilled in Christ Jesus, the one who had been promised in Genesis 3.15. So we look back on, on God's character and God's promises um, and have a distinct advantage over Noah. Well, let's, let's look here. How can we know God's character, that, that this isn't just for Noah? I, I read for you uh, some from Genesis earlier. There, there are two times in Genesis this same word is used. Uh, once we see uh, Genesis 19.29, says, When God destroyed the cities of the valley, that's talking about Sodom and Gomorrah, God remembered Abraham and sent Lot, that's his brother-in-law, out of the midst of the— or is that right? Brother-in-law? Anyway, doesn't matter— out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities in which Lot had lived. God remembered him, and he acted by pulling Lot out of those cities that were going to be destroyed. Genesis 30, 22. We're looking at the character of God. God remembered Rachel, and God listened to her and opened her womb. We talked about that a minute ago. We have Exodus. Again, God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Uh, Exodus 6, 5, God says himself, I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel whom the Egyptians hold as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. Psalms 9, 12, it says, God does not forget the cry of the afflicted. That's the same Hebrew word. Does not forget is, is the same as remembered. It's the same Hebrew word. God does not forget the cry of the afflicted. Psalms 136, 23, it is he who remembered us in our low estate, for his steadfast love endures forever. Over and over and over and over again. Be thankful that I uh, deleted a lot of verses out of that list, because we see it a lot, that God remembers his people. It is in his character. Not only is it in his character, but he actually promises this uh, to us. We see in Hebrews 13, 5 and 6, Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have, right? Don't, don't worry about the money, whether or not you have it. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Matthew twenty-eight twenty. Jesus says this, Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Matthew chapter 6, here's a passage uh, starting in verse 26. Look at the birds of the air, Jesus says. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. 
Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown out into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles, speaking non-Christians here, the Gentiles seek after, these th- after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Matthew 10, 29 and 30. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny, and not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father? But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. Again, over and over and over again, we have these promises from God. I will never leave you or forsake you. I am with you to the end of the age. Are you not worth much more than the sparrows which God remembers and takes care of? Are you not worth more than the lilies of the field that God clothes and adorns? That's the point here. God promises he will take care of us. We can trust him. He will remember us. I don't know what sort of trial you may be in right now. I don't know why you might feel abandoned by God. Maybe it's relationships. You know, maybe marriage or, or your, your children or something like that. You, you, you can't control the, them the way you'd like to. Maybe uh, you don't have a marriage. Maybe you're single, but you wouldn't like to be. You're tired of waiting. I was there. <laughs> It's, it's hard, hard stuff. Does God remember me that I would like a wife or that I would like a husband if you're a lady? Maybe it's your job, your finances. It's been a while since we've been uh, in the green, in the black, whatever, a lot of, a lot of red on our uh, accounting sheet here. Maybe it's your health. Maybe you're afraid you will get that diagnosis. Maybe you already have. Maybe that's where you're at. Maybe it's your loved ones. In those moments, we can remember, like Noah, God remembers you. God acts on your behalf. This is his character. This is the promises that he's given us. It's difficult. Again, we can... We can throw away, we can trash our faith in these times, or we can let God stretch us and grow us in the same way he was doing Noah. We'll see here in a moment that Noah comes out of the ark, I think, even more faithful than he went in. He's still a sinner, just like the the same sinner that went into the ark, but I believe he comes out with his faith grown. God wants to do that with you. Remember that that God has eternity that he's going to take care of you. He's not only remembering you now, he will remember you for eternity. He will remember your your loved ones that are hurting for eternity. God remembers. 
So again, I said there, uh, Noah's faith uh, was grown. And that, that gets us to number two. We've been looking at God working, God remembering, God acting. But now we'll see Noah responds to God. After all this trial and everything goes well, how does Noah respond to God? You know, like I said, God had been giving him these little things, helped they land probably when his faith was just uh, paper thin. They finally land on the mountain. That was God helping him, I believe. The, the tops of the mountains are visible. That was God helping him. The, the dove bringing back the leaf, that was God helping God was stretching his faith. But let's look at how Noah responds. We'll, we'll look again at verse 13, okay? In the 600th year, uh, 601st year, in the first month, the first day of the month, the waters were dried from, from off the earth. And Noah removed the covering of the ark and looked, and behold, the face of the ground was dry. That's all it says. Nothing else happens after that in, in that particular scene. The, the earth is dry. Noah actually takes the covering off the ark and looks out and says, okay, it's dry. It's dry but we actually don't see him get out of the ark yet. I, I don't want to assume too much here. I don't want to push too much uh, into the text, but this is a guy that's been, again, on the ark for almost a year at this point. He sees the ground is dry, but he stays in the ark. It seems as though he is waiting for God to send him out. Rather than just presuming, okay, here we go. I'm going to go out and start my new life, do whatever I want. He's still saying, you know what? I'm going to live life under God, under God's command, under God's control. He waits. Then we see verse 14 through 19. In the second month, on the 27th day of the month, so that, by the way, is one month and about 27 days uh, after Noah had looked out and seen that the, the ground was dry, a month and 27 days, uh, the day of the month, the earth had dried out. Verse 15, Then God said to Noah, Go out from the ark, you and your wife and your sons and your sons' wives with you. Bring out with you every living thing that is, is with you of all flesh, birds and animals, and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, that they may swarm on the earth and be fruitful and multiply on the earth. So, and not a moment before, so Noah went out and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him. Every beast, every creeping thing, and every bird, everything that moves on the ground, went out by families from the ark. Again, God had been stretching this man Noah's faith on the ark. Even when he sees the ground is dry, he still waits on God. God, I'm going to follow your lead. Just because I see an open door doesn't mean you're actually sending me through it. He wanted to hear from God. He wanted to hear from God. He wanted to be following God. So, not only had this stretching of faith uh, provided a supernatural amount of patience, um, you know, that he would stay on there for another month and 27 days, but we see verse 20, he worships God. Look at that, verse 20. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. I'm going to show you a, a few things that, that I see here in that one verse, 20.
as a person in ministry, I'm sure if you have, have uh, even been a Christian for a long time, you've seen this many times, people get into a crisis, right? Their life is going crazy, and all of a sudden they become very religious. <laughs> all of a sudden, God is the most dear thing to them. They pray to God, they're reading his word, they're, they're, they're going to church, they're, you know, meeting with other Christians, praying with other Christians, Things are tough. I need God. He is my, my security. He is my, my refuge. But then, a couple months later, the, things calmed down. The health issue has gone away. The financial issue has gotten better. The relationship is healed. And all of a sudden, you don't see them around church anymore. You might call them up. Hey, how's it going? Oh, good. I've just been so busy, you know, busy doing stuff. Oh, you've you been reading God's word? No, not, not I need to, I need to. Yeah, yeah, you probably do. It just happens over and over. People cling to God, come to God <laughs> in the hard times, cling to God in the hard times. But the second things get easy, they forget. They walk away and say, well, he got me through that one. I'm going to live my life. We'll see if I need that, uh, that sanctuary, that, that foundation again in God. But until then, I'm going to do what I want to do. Noah, when he gets off, he builds an altar to the Lord. He says, I'm not done worshiping you, God. I'm not done serving you. I'm not done being faithful to you, God. The next thing I see here is this altar and this, this, these burnt offerings show complete com commitment to God. Complete commitment to God. He didn't just, again, get off the ark and say, well, you know, I'll sort of serve God. I'll, I'll, I'll start doing some things. He built an altar this is the first time we see an altar uh, built in, in the Bible uh, with, with uh, who am I talking about? Cain and Abel. It, it says they, they made offerings, but they didn't build an altar that we know of. They may have. But here it bothers to point out that he builds, he erects an altar. Instead of just building a fire, he erects an altar. This is permanent. I am going to be worshiping you as long as there is breath in my lungs, as long as I can build a fire and kill some animals, I am going to be worshiping you, God. This is a commitment. In addition, it says there that he took some of every clean animal and of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. A word there that might skip your notice is every. It's used twice. He took some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered them as offerings. Every clean animal? Now, you got to remember as well, they are it. If it wasn't on the ark, and if it couldn't swim in the water, you know, fish, if it wasn't in the ark, it's dead at this point, okay? The only things that are alive are the animals that were brought with him on the ark, and now he's killing some of every clean animal and every clean bird, Come on, Noah, think about this, bro. You got to spread it out over time. We need to let these things multiply. Now, he had brought seven, uh, seven pairs of the clean animals and seven pairs of these birds. But still, again, this is, this is it. This is all the animals you have. He's saying, you know what? I trust God. Right here, right now, some of every clean animal, some of every clean bird, I am not holding back in my worship to God. He will take care of me. He took care of me on that ark for, for over a year. He will take care of me now with these animals. I don't have to hold back on sacrificing these animals. I don't have to hold back on, on these offerings. This was complete commitment. Builds an altar. 
sacrifices some of every clean animal that he had brought, brought with him. And then finally, these offerings show an understanding of undeserved grace. Well, those bunch of idiots, you know, they didn't get on the ark. They probably should have built their own ark, right? I told them, I told them. That is not the attitude we see from Noah. Let me show you why I see that. This term burnt offering, you can look it up in the, the sacrifices of, of the Israelites and uh, that God ordains. A burnt offering is not just any kind of sacrifice, okay? There are some sacrifices that were thanksgiving. They were looking back to, to things God had done in the past in, in gratefulness. And, you know, they're, they're, they're praising him for those things. And normally, those sacrifices, they, they would burn some of it up, and then they would eat some of it. The Levites later, when that was established with the, the temple and stuff, they would eat some of it, and some of the person making the sacrifice would eat some of it, and they would praise God. It was sort of a, a celebration, a festivity of sorts. A burnt offering, on the other hand, w was not a celebration. It wasn't an act of thankfulness. It was an act of, woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips. It was, I have sin, and something needs to die and take the punishment for that sin. And that's what the burnt offering was. It was a symbol of this thing taking their guilt. It, it's called a burnt offering because that's what it was. It, it was completely burnt up. None of it was eaten. It was not a celebration. It was not gratitude. Noah didn't get off the, the ark just thankful. He got off it still realizing, I didn't deserve that. I didn't deserve to be saved. I, I deserve to be like all these other people that he probably sees uh, dead. That's what, that's what I, me and my family deserve. This was a sin offering. This is a sin offering that he's putting out here. He recognizes that God had shown him favor. He recognizes that God ha had looked upon him a sinner and shown him grace. Now we know in our day and time that, that that sacrifice, those offerings, the burnt offerings, were pointing to the true offering, right? Jesus Christ. He was the death that truly paid for our death. He is the one who received the punishment that we truly deserve so we, we look back on Jesus' sacrifice, but Noah was looking forward to that sacrifice. He recognized his undeservedness. Again, I just put this back on us. We, we make it through a trial, we make it faithful, and sometimes we, we begin putting notches in our belt. Look how faithful I was. No, that's not how it works. That's not God's economy. It is God's faithfulness, God's grace upon you. It is God. He saw God, and that he responded, as is the point here, he responded in an overflow of worship. I build an altar, commitment, one of every clean animal. I don't need it. God, you will take care of me. And God, the thing I really need you to take care of is my sin and my family's sin. That was the true problem here. And I would say for you, you know, no matter where you're at, if you're in the, the difficult time, if you're in a great time, our lives should be just as much an overflow of worship to God. Just as much. We should see this undeserved grace poured out on us. You might say, well, how do I worship God? How do I give an offering to God, you know? 
I don't recommend killing an animal and burning it. Your neighbors will probably call uh, someone. I don't know. So, so what do we do, right? How do we worship this God? How do we overflow in worship? Romans 12, 1 and 2. I appeal to you, therefore, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. So, so based on God's mercy, based on God's grace that he's been showing in uh, Romans 1 through 11, based on that, I appeal to you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what, what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. God does not want us to offer him animals. He wants us to offer ourselves to him every day, every moment of every day. Here I am, God, a living sacrifice. Do with me what you will. That's what God wants. You might say, well, what does that look like? Well, we can start with the negative. I can tell you what that does not look like. That does not look like going against God's commands. <laughs> Looking at what you shouldn't look at, saying what you should not say, doing what you should not do. That's not a living sacrifice. But it kind of goes on. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. <laughs> God wants us to give ourselves to him and say, God, transform me. Make me more like your son. Make me have more of your spirit. Fill me with your spirit. Fill me with, with love, joy, peace. Fill me with all these things, God, so that I may discern what your will is, what is good and acceptable and perfect. That, that's what it looks like to overflow in worship. To, to say daily, how would you use me today to glorify you, God? How would you be glorified in my life? How would you change me today? That's what it looks like. But the question is, do we have that commitment? Like Noah, are, are we all in? Are we half in the world and half in Jesus? Jesus says we can't serve two masters. But I, I would plead with you, even as we come to this uh, communion table, reserved for believers, see the faithfulness of the God who remembers. You can trust him. Maybe you've never trusted him before. Maybe you've, you've still been living your life the way you want to live it. Today can be the day that you trust the God who remembers, the God who acts on your behalf, the God who has acted ultimately on your behalf in the person of Jesus Christ. Died on the cross, wrath that you deserve, poured out on him, buried, then rose again, defeating that death, defeating Satan, defeating sin. And now we can trust in that work. And the rest of us, the rest of us, we can keep the faith, right? We, we can be floating on the seas for five months, not hearing from God and still say, God remembers me. I can't see him, but he remembers me. Just like he was working in the background with Noah, he is working for me. Just like he looked out for the Israelites, he's looking out for me. Just like he looked out for, 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 for Jesus, for, for all these things, sending him to his ultimate purpose, he will send me to my ultimate purpose. It may not be easy, but I trust him. He remembers me. And from that, we can overflow in worship, a living sacrifice. That's our great God. He remembers us so that we can overflow in worship. Let's pray.